everybody. Welcome to another Making a Geek. I am Damien DiCarlo. Today's guest is a very talented comic book artist in the world of geeks and pop culture. His work with Marvel Comics includes issues of The Amazing Spider-Man, G.I. Joe, and Doctor Strange. Please welcome Randy Emberlin. Hey, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing, uh, Randy? Glad to be here. Glad to be able to share some stuff about uh, comics and Absolutely. You know, COVIDian, Absolutely. in this COVIDian world that we live in, you know. How, how are you doing, Randy, you and your family during quarantine? How have you been holding up? You know, I'm getting old, so it's like, you know, I wear my masks and, uh, you know, I only go get groceries and we've been sheltering in place for, we're in Oregon, so it's like, I don't know, we started early, so it's been six, seven months of sheltering and, I mean, we've gotten out on some vacations camping and doing stuff like that, but we're pretty careful, you know, it's like Judy's older than I am, and so we just, you know, trying to trying to stay safe and you know working at home I, i'm getting a lot of comic book stuff so it's good camping sounds like a lot of fun i didn't think of that <laughs> oh, <laughs> around the outdoors that's what we need to do we need to get in touch with uh, nature right now i would say yeah there were some of our favorite places and we did it early enough before the forest fires and of course we're dealing with the forest dealing fires. with the fires and, it, and before that you had the riots going on downtown in portland yeah, I know everybody thinks the city of Portland's on fire. It's burning up, but it, well, it was just a small area they kept, you know, messing with over and over and over. And that went on for, I don't know, still going on, I guess, in other parts, but, um, you know, it's over 100 days or something like that. But, but it's, aside from that, you know, I mean, it's like Portland's okay. It's, it's fine. You just get in the suburbs and stuff and it's all fine. You know? it's yeah. Good. Yeah. It, it seems like the media tends to blow it up a little bit. So it's, it's better to hear from someone that actually lives in the area. <laughs> I know we did our camping, I was going to say, or before the fires. So that was great because now it's like today is the first day of like air quality at 28. It's been like, you know, two, 300 and you're, you know, you can't go outside. You got to have the air conditioner on with multiple filters and windows closed. And I mean, it's been so bad. So yeah. this is good. I mean, it's a beautiful day. Yeah, I already exercised and everything. So it's great. There you go. Puts you back in the routine. Yeah. Um, now, now, Randy, thank you for being on the show, by the way. It's a pleasure. Uh, I'd love to talk comics. Uh, sure. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your career with Marvel uh, okay. from, from the start. All right. Well, you know, the good thing about comics for me, it started really early. And I don't know if I should go back that far, but, you know, like age five, I, you know, my grandma bought comic books for me and I learned to read early before I was even in, you know, first grade. And so that was a big, you know, I mean, it was huge as far as a impression making, you know, the comic book artwork, I wanted to draw at age four, I was already drawing, trying to draw. And my parents said that I'd get so frustrated, they have to pull me away from the comic books. And, you know, cause I was like, ah, you know, tantrum anyway, but I, so I started early and then, you know, I, I was reading DC stuff and then I discovered Marvel at about age eight at some, uh, it was one of those, uh, you know, you know, what do they do at schools? It, it's kind of like a, a carnival. That's it. And it was fundraiser carnival. And they had tables of comic books for like, you know, a quarter for 10 comics. And they were all like Avengers number three and Daredevil number one and all, you know, all of these incredible comic books. And I'm like, you know, eight years old. So we discovered Marvel, my friends and I, and, and that was it. It's like, you know, we were off and, you know, on a comet. So we, we wanted to make our own comics. We all that stuff, you know, and it, it took a long time to get, so where I was actually doing comics because I liked film and music too. I'm a guitarist as well, and, you know, and studied music and stuff. So, you know, I, I did animation for about 10 years and then had my, you know, big chance at Marvel because a friend of mine from first grade got a job as a penciler at Marvel and uh, he was able to give me a hand up. He was like, yeah, well, you could ink my stuff, you know, and, and he coached me and, and I was able to long distance from Portland, actually. I went to New York for a couple of weeks and stayed with him, went into the offices and met with, his editor was really great. It was uh, Carl Potts, who's an artist. Very rare. You don't get too many editors who are artists and they get it, they understand it. And actually Carl's pretty amazing. He's discovered a lot of famous people like Jim Lee, and you know, the guy that's the X-Men artist. And now he's like a vice president at DC and everything. So um, yeah, it was, it was great. Carl was great. And he realized that, you know, I was uh, poor and, and needed a job as well. And it was like, we're trying to buy a house and I was married. And so he actually wrote up a 
kind of a, a fake contract, you know, basically said Randy's under contract with Marvel for this many issues of this book. So he could give it to, so we got a loan, you know, I mean, it was like super nice. I mean, those are the good days of Marvel. I mean, and yeah, Virginia, that sounds like a lot of fun. It was, I mean, yeah. Virginia Romita, who is John Romita's, the famous Spider-Man artist, his wife ran the, uh, you know, invoicing process. And so you got paid every two weeks, but you know, once you had reached, you know, two weeks, you're sending in vouchers every week. So you got checks every week. So, uh, you know, I went from like working for ad agencies where they stick you with like 90 days, you know, waiting to get paid. And, uh, and here at Marvel, you know, you're getting paid every week. If you're good and you produce work every week, you're getting paid every week. And then the royalties came and that was, you know, at the, back in those days, it was every, you know, like nine months to get to your first royalty. But if you stayed on the book, you know, they came every month. So you not only got paid your regular wage, you got paid a royalty based on the book sales, and then your, your artwork was returned so you could sell it. So that was a third way of getting paid. So I was in heaven when I got that job. It was like, wow, I can actually work hard and make money. You know? Right. Now, I, I definitely can share with, you mentioned when you were four years old, uh, your comic book collecting, that, that's, that's when I started. So I, I had comic books before I could even read. And uh, it was all about the pictures. And uh, my aunt and I used to sit and read them sometimes. And she used to read me what it would say. Uh, and so I'd try to process that while looking at the awesome, cool pictures. Um, so for me, it was, it was a really neat experience. It was very immersive. It was, it was a movie come to life but in your, in your imagination, but you're also looking at it too. Um, now for those that maybe don't know the process of making a comic book, what, what, explain to me, how does that, how does that work? How, where do you, where do you begin from square yeah. one to finish it, published page? You know, the beauty of it is, and we talked about this before is it's kind of like, you know, making a movie, doing a comic book but you don't need, you know, a hundred people to make the movie. You just need your editor, you know, he's kind of in charge of directing the whole thing. And then you have a writer and then you have the penciler and then you have the inker and then you have the letter and you have the colorist. So five artists and an editor. So it's six people, basically. The colorist is the last one. And, the, and that's the order basically is you have the writer comes up with a plot. This is the Marvel way. And I like this the best. I mean, you know, some writers want to write full script, so they're telling everybody what to do. It's like, okay, you know, Spider-Man's in the first panel, and this is what's in the background, this is what he says, this. No, the old way of doing it, the way Stanley did it with Jack Kirby and the guys that really made Marvel great, those nine years that were just amazing with all, they had all these artists that were in their 40s that were like at the peak of their powers and their career. And, you know, Stan is like, okay, I'm going to give you a plot. And so the plot is a narrative and it's usually, it's about um, 11 pages for a 22 page comic. So it's double spaced, 11 page narrative, which is basically this happens, then this happens, then this happens. And it doesn't have panel breakdowns. It just says, this is the story. So you can figure one page of double spaced type equals two pages of artwork. So, you know, you read the 11 pages as the penciler. So the you know, writer writes that, the plot, it goes to the penciler, the penciler looks, reads through it, breaks it down, circles the sentences, and, and then usually does like a half size breakdown uh, storyboard. So you take like eight and a half piece, eight and a half by 11, fold it in half, and you make a signature. So you've got a book, you know, and you just break down the panel sizes and you can go through and just do stick figures if you want, but you have to make it work out so that, you know, you get through the pages you know, as you, as you look at a page, you know, you go, oh, well, this is the break right here. So I'm going to have six panels and then I'm going to have four panels, you know, and that's, you know, the first page of, of type. And anyway, it's got to work out to 22 pages. And you so need to have some sort of a, a imagination, I would assume, by reading this, that you have to bring it to life, much like a director. You, you, you read right. it then you have to make it come out somehow. Into You're sort of the cameraman and the editor if you're the penciler, you know, and uh, you know, a lot of, I did a lot of inking. I mean, I penciled a lot cause I was an animator too, but in comics, I was basically known as an anchor. But the thing about an anchor is, you know, he's next. I mean, it's actually what happens is it goes writer plot, then to the penciler and he goes through and, you know, pencils it out. And then it's checked by the editor. He's checking every stage. Editor gets to check it. And then after the pencils are done, then the writer writes the dialogue balloons. So he literally writes the script after the pencils are done. And, so, and, and this is not typed. This is actually manually penciled in. 
the, the dialogue. Is that right? It, yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's where the letter comes in, right? The letterer, right. Yeah. So it's like, this is the old school way of doing it, right? So there was actually, lettering now actually is done on the computer. They usually, they hand letter a font and fontographer or something, and then they save it and they go, that looks good. And then they just type it in and, you know, it's done electronically because you're using the computer now. But right. in the old days, when I was doing in the 80s, everybody was handling that page. So it was in pencil first. And then the, you know, the writer gets it back. I mean, the, you know, and he looks at it and he goes, okay, I'm going to write all of the script. And so he scripts it out and then copies were made and they were sent to the, the letter, you know, so he could start figuring it out. But it goes, you know, from the, the pencils then go to the inker who finishes the drawing. And as an inker, you're not just tracing it, you're actually adding a lot of stuff, details and shading and dim dimension and depth, checking things, correcting things. And so then when you, you know, get it then actually the the before the i got ahead of myself before the inker gets to the finished inking the letter gets to put the lettering in so that was before the computer now it's doesn't matter you know you can add the lettering later and it just covers up artwork but right. back then the letter actually got it before the inker finished the work so i would get pages and all the balloons would be lettered by hand so that was the only ink on the paper the rest was pencil and then i'd have to go in and finish all of the work in ink in India ink and using, you know, all kinds of stuff. I mean, you use sable brushes and you use crow quill and, you know, uh, gelat cartoonist nib pens and you're using India ink and, uh, you know, whiteouts and different kinds of textures. And back in those days, you used Zipatone. Now that computer is doing all that stuff too. You can add toning and, and add a lot of that stuff. And, and, you know, even when I do work now, you know, it's like you still, it's still nice to do it in pencil and ink it. Some guys use tablets for all that stuff, but you can still pencil and ink it and scan it and then send it off, you know, to the colorist and the letterer and they can add their stuff in the computer. So that way you still get to do a piece of original artwork. And I've always said, you know, beware of doing everything electronically. I mean, if you're going to do it all on a tablet, you got vapor, you know, like my pages from the nineties are worth thousands of dollars now because they're original pieces of artwork. Sure. You know, and if if I'd done it, you know, electronically, I'd, all I'd have is prints and nobody really cares about that. So, you know, right. yeah, really now, now at this point in age, it's, it's kind of a, uh, um, it's hard to preserve the, the old comics. We're talking back, let's just go back to the 40s. Um, yeah. We're falling apart. The ink is already, uh, it's, it's, there's some sort of acidic reaction to the paper where it's burning through. I mean, once they're gone, they're gone. You know, those originals. Some of them are actually good because indie ink is, it really does have that archival quality. It just depends on the papers. You're right. Some of the paper is bad. It yellows if you don't protect it, you know, and that kind of thing. But, right. you know, I've got, I've got this, you know, like you were talking about, how's the process changed? You know, when I was in the 80s, Marvel had this primitive coloring process that was all done with plates. And, you know, literally there was a company it was almost like Disney, you know, a bunch of women with white gloves and, and, you know, like painting, you know, Ruby lith and cutting Ruby lith. And, and, you know, you had like, you know, the colors were primitive colors, like basic, you know, primary colors with different, you know, percentages, 25, 50, 75, you know, and then they had to mix, you know, the colors had to do a sheet and actually tell them, give them instructions of what to do. It, it was totally primitive. So coloring came a long way when we hit the 90s and Photoshop came in and then the computer could actually do sophisticated coloring. So that, right. that actually changed a lot of stuff. And the paper, it got better. Clay surface, you know, slick paper, uh, printing, we went to offset printing. It always used to be those newsprint, you know, I can't remember World Press or something did all of the comic books, you know, I did thousands and thousands of, you know, millions of comics. And now it's Ronald's up in Canada that prints most of the comics and the books and stuff. That's a huge printing company. But, you know, there was a period, or what I was going to say is there was a weird period and it was like, they wanted to speed things up. And I think it was when Marvel went public on the stock market in like 91 or whatever it was, um, they, they wanted to speed things up. So instead of having the letter, letter by hand, the pages before the penciler got them, they, they just did overlays. They would send him a copy. He would do overlays of the lettering. They would shoot those as stats. You don't have stat misuse anymore. And then cut them out and paste them on. And you talk about, you know, destruction of old artwork. I have pages like that. And they literally, with a waxer, 
paste, pasted all of the balloons on the artwork and those babies all turn yellow and fall off. I bet they so, do. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, you know, I've got some in bags that I showed kids and all the balloons are falling off and they're turning yellow. And so, but that was only for a short period of time. Then they figured out how to do it all on the computer and they got rid of the whole, actually letters lost their job. And it ended up being just, you know, one company could do all of this lettering because it's just somebody typing and putting it in, you know, with one of the programs. So go, going into this day and age, when you started with Marvel and you had the, you were part of this amazing process of inking for one of the greatest uh, comic book publishing companies. Uh, how long would a comic book generally take to be from start to finish and then it be takes, published yeah it takes quite a while they give us like three months of a lead time so if we if we were starting a new book with number one they would want us to have finished i don't know the first three issues before they even announced that they were going to release it so because it takes you know everybody gets a couple of weeks the writer gets a couple of weeks the pencil gets a couple of weeks the anchor gets a couple of weeks you know probably the letter got a week and the colors got a week in those days so what is that two four six that's about eight weeks and you know and you build that in there's always somebody screwing up or missing deadlines and getting sick or whatever so you've got to have that three month lead time and then they release the first one and you're three issues ahead. And then it's, you know, you're working to try and stay ahead of the like, beat the reaper. You know, it's like the stress is always there of trying to make right. the headlines, you know? So that, yeah. that was going to be my next question to you. Uh, you know, with, with uh, the type of job that you have doing sketching and art for comic books, it sounds like a really fun gig. And for some, it would even be a, a dream job. Uh, yeah. But what are some of the challenges that come with the job? What, what, what are the struggles and I assume you know, deadlines, but it's funny because I mean, you know, I always wanted to be a comic book artist when I was a kid and we made comics when we were in grade school and a friend of mine had a printing press. And so when we were in middle school and high school, we still made comics. And, but I just thought there's no way I'm going to move to New York and get to work in comics. And in the end, actually I helped start dark horse comics in Milwaukee, Oregon, which is like third largest company. You know, they're right behind Marvel and DC and Dark Horse, you know, is kind of does a lot of independent stuff, but they've got that, um, that what right of first refusal on licensed products of Fox. So, you know, they've, they've had, they've done Aliens and Predator and Terminator, and, you know, all, all of those. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they've got those things and then they have all the Japanese stuff that they do and they were one of the first to do it. So it was cool to be helping them start their company right after I got work at Marvel. So I was working at Marvel, but then I was also working at Dark Horse here. And, you know, I could drive there from where I live. It's like 30 minutes, you know, to get there. So, and I met Mike Richardson through a friend. So he's, he's like owns it. So it's privately owned. So that's cool. So it's, it's great to have, you know, like a big company here in Portland. So, I mean, that's when Marvel went chapter 11 in 96 or whatever, that's where I went as I went to take refuge in uh, Dark Horse and start working on Ghost Monthly and Anyway, you, you, know, you worked you worked on, uh, to my knowledge, I remember you said uh, Aliens and Predator for Dark Horse. Yeah, I did. I did, uh, you know, like some of the, um, well, actually I did a bunch. I, I did with Chris Warner, who's the same guy. When I got my first job, it was for Alien Legion at Marvel, and that was an epic book. So that was a creator-owned book. It was like a side company where you get to keep your rights to the, you know, creation. And so they kind of, they put it on slick paper and it was really cool, but you didn't get any royalties or any benefits or anything from Marvel. So it was just like my editor owned the book and he was like, I want you on this book. So it's cool. So, you know, and, and Chris was the penciler and I was the inker. So we worked on that and I was pretty loyal to him, but he had these other books. So when I went to New York uh, and, and visited Chris, it was like, we went to the office every day and we got offered Doctor Strange. So that was my first foot in the door of the actual Marvel mainstream books was to do Doctor Strange. And we loved Doctor Strange when we were kids. I mean, that was like one of our top favorite books along with, you know, Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and stuff. So we thought we could do something really special with that. And, and that's where we put a lot of our energy and, you know, I mean, there, I pulled deadlines because I was working for other editors doing single issues of stuff because I'd want to do this or that. And, uh, I remember I pulled a deadline once where it was like I did, you know, oh gosh. It, I know it doesn't, it doesn't sound like that many pages, but it seems like it was 15 pages in 38 hours, but I didn't sleep. 
and so when I was done, you know, I just collapsed and slept for 16 hours or something like that. Which, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, those are the kind of things you don't want to do. And when you get older, it's like, you know, you wake up and every bone in your body hurts, you know, but right, there's right. a lot of deadlines and a lot of pressure. So, but, you know, I lucky that I was able to make the jump, you know, with him to Dr. Strange. And then I got to do GI Joe. And then I eventually got to do amazing Spider-Man. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of who, you know, in some cases, but, uh, don't blow it. You know, like if you get your job, do not miss deadlines, do great work and have people like you, <laughs> you know, it's like have all of the artists and all the of that at like once. You. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's just like any entertainment field. People sure. want your job. You know, it's like they're after that. They go, man, I want to get on that book. Randy's on, you know, it's like amazing Spider-Man. And you know, the good thing is amazing Spider-Man is really one of the iconic books at Marvel. I mean, I am so lucky. That was the flagship book that I got to work on. That was Stan Lee's favorite character, favorite book. You know, I met Stan, talked to him a bunch of times, but you know, that was an incredible, that'll never go away. I mean, look at it. The movies just keep coming out, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Stan started the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. X-Men came later and they were a big deal. And then unfortunately Marvel being in chapter 11, they lost the rights to that to Fox. So all his movies were Fox movies. They weren't Marvel movies. So right. now Marvel bought them all back. And so now they're going to be making, they'll probably get back into making X-Men movies again. That's right. Point. So X-Men started that launch uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, actually being in the universe, but it started the line of Mar Marvel films. And I remember when I went um, opening weekend to that and just, that feeling of just i felt overwhelmed as a kid i was i was third i believe i was 13 years old at the time and seeing my comic book favorite one of my favorite comic book characters come to life all of these characters on the screen was like a wolverine or something yeah yeah and before that we had the greats i'm a big batman fan so we had the batman films but uh and right. superman but uh when it came to marvel they didn't have such a great run they had i, I remember oh, they were terrible yeah. stuff in the 80s like we had swamp thing uh oh. we had the, well, that was the, original, the original Punisher. <laughs> it was yeah, a, original not, Punisher movie. Yeah, without the skull yeah, on the shirt. Fantastic Four movie was they bought it and threw it away. The, the bootlegged version, right? Yeah, yeah. Didn't want it to be seen. It was so bad. Right. So. Which you can yeah, find yeah. now at almost any con. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> For like but, ten bucks. <laughs> you know, it's so cool though that you know. I mean that. I mean, in the end, we're all afraid, and maybe we still are, of Disney having you know bought Marvel and owning them. But in the end, they have unlimited you know funds now it's like i mean they did it on their own though i have to admit it's like you read the book you know on, on marvel you know they they got that loan from uh who was it uh it's one of the big investment companies i can't even remember their name now so you know, anyway they got like 500 mil or something like that and they and it was for 10 pictures or something like that and they made iron man and, you know, John Favreau directs it and you, and this thing makes like what a billion dollars or something. It's like they hit the home run on the first movie and that was it. I mean, it's like, and then it was like, yeah, Disney's like, yeah, we can make some money on this characters, you know, and iconic yeah. characters. Every, and, everybody shuddered to think what it was like. I'm sure in Hollywood, what a comic book movie would be like after the failure of some of the uh, latter of the Batman films. <laughs> right. After a while they saw there was a loss in funds and it wasn't panning out. So they stopped that so to come back with another superhero movie. I'm sure was not embraced very well. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, uh, Spider-Man was taken away from Marvel too. I mean, that's Sony. So we lost the X-Men to Fox and Sony still has Spider-Man. They've right. made a deal so that they can use them in the Avengers or whatever. But um, you know, the Spider-Man movies, they, you know, they were okay. I mean, I, I liked the first one and the second one, you know, with Tobey Maguire, they were good. The third one I didn't like at all, where they screwed Venom over and made You're it. not alone in that. Yeah, it was not good. <laughs> and then, you know, I liked, what's his name, Andrew Garfield or whatever. He was cool, but it's like they never really, they, you know, they started retelling the story again. And right. then it's kind of like it just didn't ever go anywhere. And, and now everybody likes the new Spider-Man, the young guy. Uh, and I think he's great. I think he's cool. But it's kind of like they're, you know, they're sort of inventing their own mythos as they go now. They're right. not really paying attention to the old, you know, I mean, I mean, they kind of are, but, you know, some of those villains are a combination of three guys. Or right. And, and a lot of that is, is Hollywood. But, you know, actually, that takes my next question over to, to you is that what, what, how do you, what was your take to the Marvel movies as a whole? I think for the most part, they've been really good. I mean, there's been a few clunkers. But, right. You know, I mean, I think, you know, they've done a really good job. And I'm amazed at some of the directors, you know, that what they've pulled out of the hat. I mean, you know, they, I mean, they're obviously a special effects and everything are way up to the, you know, 
to the standard that, you know, we never were able to do any of that stuff when I was a kid, you know, and all this, and now they can do anything they want. So as long, you know, as long as you have a good story, I mean, that's the bottom line. Stan would say that, and all of these guys, if without a good story, it's just a bunch of explosions and fight scenes and stuff. And, and I think people get tired of that, but right. I really, I really love that Thor Ragnarok one. That's one of my had, favorites. It, like had, <laughs> it had the Marvel humor from the comic books in the sixties. It was like, you know, I mean, everybody is making fun of each other and themselves. And it's just, I, you know, I was laughing. I just enjoyed that movie so much. It was just fun. I and, think and the Avengers movies were good too. I mean, it was just, they were a little long, you know, the, some of those movies when they get to be like two and a half hours long or something, it's like almost sure. Yeah. They try to make it into a large epic, which, you know, it can be on its own. You don't need to stretch it too far. But um, personally, I feel that the, the films did well with capturing a brand new audience because there was, you know, people like us, I grew up with the original couple of first runs of these of superheroes. And now we see uh, kids in this day and age that never read the comics being introduced right. in a film format. Now it's tapped into a brand new type of audience. And um, I don't know if that's taken them to going back to comics, but kind of cool where I get to see, you know, a whole generation of what was me back in the day hanging out with, you know, a bunch of my little Marvel figures and, <laughs> and my comic books. <laughs> well, you know, the, the thing is that all of those people that have learned from the movies and they wouldn't normally have read comics, a lot of them, kids and people. And it translated into, uh, you know, like big fan base at the, at the comic cons. So you got tons of people at these comic cons, like, you know, 100,000 people. Like it, I was always doing the Emerald City one. I did the one in San Diego for 20 years. And, you know, that was like 180,000 people, you know, in five days or whatever. And all, a lot of those fans came from movies, you know, later on when the movie started, you started getting all these fans and, they didn't, you know, they got into comics late. And, but unfortunately, comic book sales have not increased because of the movies at sure. all. Right. The, only, the only time I got, I worked on a Batman, an issue of Batman. I did just a few. And who knows, you know, it was a friend of mine that I was working with, Mark Bright on G.I. Joe, and he got a Batman for a couple of issues. He got a couple of, you know, and it was right when the first Michael Keaton movie came out. The first Batman one with Jack Nicholson as Joker the sales went up 200,000 copies that month, that issue, we made a huge royalty. I've yeah. never seen anything like that again. I was Batmania in 1989. I remember never seen well. anything like it again. So it's like, yeah. you know, and, and the, and the sales of comics, when I was at the peak of, you know, Marvel's run uh, in the early nineties, you know, when the 30th anniversary and all that stuff, and they went public, um, Spider-Man was always good. It was right up there with X-Men and, you know, even G.I. Joe had a pretty good run, but, um, you know, it was averaging 350,000 copies a month, which is awesome. Now, you're lucky if a comic breaks 100,000, and most comics are selling like 20, 30, maybe 50,000, if that. I mean, in fact, they went for several months with no comics breaking 100,000. So, you know, you have like Spider-Man averaging 350, and then it hits that period of that 30th anniversary, and Carnage comes out. I mean, Carnage sold 750,000 copies that issue 361, that first issue. And it was just a regular comic book. And there was no advanced publicity in terms of hype. It just was viral. It just went, it went to three printings and it was insane. And then, you know, some of those anniversary issues sold a million copies that I worked on. We'll never see any of that again. I mean, it's like those days, they were very short lived. It was like about three or four years of just unbelievable sales, comics hitting, you know, like, and now it's just you know unfortunately it, it, it came about it came about in a very good time i would say for um because i grew up in that era um it was just you didn't have any marvel movies out you had you had you know right. the first couple of batmans okay cool and that appealed to the dc fans but then marvel didn't really have anything so to see them with a brand new hit comic book was still a big thing and people still were you know getting them in the mail i remember yeah. that i would get comics in the mail and uh that was still a thing so people you know of course they were expecting the next issue like it was their next i don't know their next tv show or reality tv show or soap opera and right um, yeah people were following it now uh randy you you had you just mentioned uh you had a hand here in creating one of the most iconic villains in comic book history let's talk right. about carnage okay all right. I mean, I can, okay, I can tell you a bunch of stuff. In fact, I'm working on, I'm going to show you in a minute, I'm working on a, uh, a commission for someone and it's, it's based on the cover to 361, which is the collectible, you know, they're worth like a couple hundred bucks in good shape, right. but everybody's getting them slabbed and graded and all that stuff. So I'm doing that 
on an issue of car absolute carnage. Uh, is it carnage born? I guess absolute carnage. And this is something they came out with reprinting stuff. And it, it actually has got a new story and stuff in it too. But um, they want me to reproduce that cover, actually do the art on the cover. A lot of comics have these variant covers that are blank so that the artist is allowed to draw a new cover. This one is kind of like that, but the paper is red. So anyway, I'll show it to you in a minute because I'm, I'm not done. But um, the story behind Carnage was, you know, mostly David Michelini, who's the writer, and he's great. He's one of my favorite writers because he, he could still write one-issue stories. You know, this business of like writing these story arcs that go for a year and drag everybody along. You know, I love the fact that he could write a one-issue story with a different villain and a different villain the next month and a different villain and then be building towards something and then maybe have like a two or three parter. But his idea about Carnage was, you know, he's like this serial killer, insane person. And as an artist, Mark Bagley, the penciler, and, and me, we were able to just, you know, design the character. Uh, it's, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, an offspring of Venom. So there's supposed to be similarities. So we thought, you know, Venom is, or, you know, Venom's blue. So we'll go red with Carnage. We'll keep it simple. The primary colors are good. And a lot of this black material that's animated, which should be really interesting when they do the, the movie. Uh, but uh, we patterned it, like I was telling you, after um, the Terminator 2 movie came out about the same time with Arnold. So the T-1000, the, you know, the, with all of the liquid metal and the spikes out of his fingers, transforming. Think of that character when you think of Carnage. Right, you know, the, right. Symbiote's you know, just kind of going all over the place. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what they do with the animation for that. You know, and you said, you know, what, what about Woody Harrelson? It's like, I think Woody Harrelson, he's going to be a voice, mostly. I mean, you know, really. I mean, most of the time he's going to be a voice and he'll probably be great. I mean, he can do it. You know, I think he's played insane characters before. So, you know, he might be really good at it. In fact, I have a story, a really short one. It's like my son is a drone photographer and shoots a lot of commercials and uh, he's starting to get into some cinema stuff, you know, but um, his company, ACAM Aerials, is doing really well. They shot a Ford commercial in Michigan just about a month ago and it was in Detroit and the director of the, of the film is this guy, Bob Richardson, Robert Richardson, three Academy Awards as a DP, as a director of photography. Nobody's ever done that as an American, three Academy Awards. And Alex got to work with him. He got to eat with him and stuff, you know, and it's like, wow, this is, this is cool. Well, he just finished directing the Carnage movie. So, oh, so you, I didn't yeah. even know that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't and know it's it in post-production. So, you know, Alex is telling me about that, you know, and he's like, wow, you know, it's, he shot that movie. He wasn't really into comics that much, the guy, but you know, he's great. He's a great director of photography, but I thought, wow, the Carnage movie is, it's in the, it's on its way to being in the can. I mean, they're working on it now. So. Now, would you, what did you think of uh, the Venom film? Now that I have you talking about Carnage. It wasn't my favorite take. You know, it's like, I'm really sorry that they didn't have Spider-Man and they're not going to use Spider-Man either, apparently in this, the Carnage movie, which to me is, you know, the whole, you know, mythos of the, yes, it's based so on Spider-Man, right? Right. I mean, if you take Spider-Man out, then you're just doing the symbiote universe, which is a different story. I mean, right. and you know, they can do what they want. I mean, they kind of did it. I think they were saying it was kind of like Lethal Protector, the comic book series, you know, where Venom is kind of the good guy. Right. You know, you know, yeah. So, and I was yeah. supposed to ink that too. And I just couldn't, I was just so overburdened with work at the time. I, you know, I was supposed to do that series as well. Yeah. Lethal Protector was kind of that one, you know, standalone where it was, I mean, I can't recall any other villain having a, uh, at least in Spider-Man universe, not having their own right. run like right. that. Some villains that get a book, you know, like Dr. Doom, I think had one and some other characters, but they don't last very long. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, he was a, he was the spawn of Venom. I mean, of, you know, spawn of Venom and, you know, we had some inspiration and he was just like Venom times two, you know, and could just be, and then that led to, you know, I mean, the, those first three issues were just, you know, they went through the ceiling, the sales on them were insane. And so we knew we had something and, uh, and then, of course, they dreamed up the typical Marvel. You know, it's like, hey, let's do this round robin thing. We have four Spider-Man books, so let's start it, you know, with this book. And then we're going to, everybody does a chapter every month. And so everybody has to buy all four comic books in order to read Maximum Carnage, which turned out to be a big deal. I mean, that was like, I don't know how many, it was like 16 
issues of comics plus they added on like it started in Ultimate Spider-Man or not Ultimate but uh, oh, whatever that whatever that other Spider-Man book was you know they were using so they you know they connected it and then added a little bit at the beginning of the end and it was the good thing about that is Maximum Carnage uh, yeah, I think it's gonna that some of that's gonna be in this movie I think that's kind of been the storyline that's what I heard yeah yeah but, but if you don't have Spider-Man teaming up with Venom what's that gonna be it's, like, yeah it's not really a Spider-Man film I mean like you just said it's the symbiote universe but um, I just want to see them you know clash and come together you know as a comic yeah. <laughs> and it'll be cool it'll be cool i mean i'm sure they'll have you know i'm not worried about special effects i just want story to be good that's the thing you know if you don't have a good story it's just a bummer you know but anyway so you know carnage is great i was going to show you the this is the um oh here's just something most people haven't seen this is the first cover that we did for 361 so this is the first appearance of carnage and i put carnage up here it would be you know the title would be amazing spider-man but it was rejected and partly rejected by us and the editor for different reasons but um i saved i it. think it looks fantastic i, <laughs> I saved it should have been on there <laughs> and i colored it very simply and then i got a call from marvel how many years later 27 years later whatever and this last year at march and they go oh we'd really like to uh you know have a scan of that and we're willing to pay you for it. We want to use that as one of Marvel's gems and put it on a collector's classic type thing. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I did. And I, and, and, you know, it was like, actually it was the year before it was, it was in 2019 because that was the year we did the last year we did camps. And I said, Marvel, I don't want the guy who's in charge of you. I was like, I don't want any money for it, but I do want you to support our camps for kids. And so they did with tons of, uh, books, comp copies of brand new comics. And, you know, I mean, DC was already on board sending me a pallet of 36 boxes of books and comics and posters and buttons and, you know, bookmarkers. And, you know, it's like, and Archie did stuff and then Dark Horse did stuff. So we had stuff from four different companies for our camps. And so it was good to get Marvel on board. Anyway, that cover was first. This is the, I don't have the original here, but, um, this is this is the black and white version of the cover that was actually used. Right. Yeah. Right? That's uh, pretty know, cool. It's the one, it's you know, so he's he's got him up, and I think it's because you know they're fighting, so it doesn't look like the battle's over. Spider Man's not on the ground; they're just in you know entangled. And then what I'm doing now, right now, is I'm doing this on this cover of this collectible book. Uh, absolute is it absolute kind of yeah? And so it's the same basic cover i'm making or actually i have to draw it, to it so it's the same thing anyway so yeah. very popular people like those they collect them and i sign a lot of books now that's another thing is like a lot of the cgc stuff uh stores send me books from you know like everybody wants their collection signed so they're trying to get me and bagley and the writer david michelini to sign you know like their issues of 361 or over those the trifecta 361 2 and 3 those are the three really most signed books now now in, in on your part with creating carnage what what exactly was your part in that was it just the, the, it was just the, the part of the symbiote going everywhere and drawing yeah, it it's like drawing it you know i know the editor even danny finger had a say in it you know and he was like um we were you know trying to i think originally what was it having it start from black going out and and he was like no that makes it look like he's got a hole in his chest or something, you know, he's like, he's got a giant exit wound or something. <laughs> so we had to mix the blacks and the reds and, and then our, our idea was to create all of these things that were alive. And also the fact that, you know, he could make like giant blades or axes or hammers, uh, you know, I mean, using kind of like the T-1000. Like the T-1000. Now right. the, the first, the first drawing you showed me, uh, that kind of was that concept. I saw, if I'm not mistaken, the black coming out of his, yeah, I know. It's true. Yeah, there you're yeah. right. There yeah. it is. It's coming out. There it is. So it changed and evolved from that and became more, you know, amorphous. It's just kind of like all over the place. And so, you know, it depends on how you draw him, but it's different every time. And you know, as as a jazz guitarist, and that's what I've been doing for also about 45 years, it's, you know, different every time you draw him. So that's what's cool. There's no real set pattern. You can kind of do jazz, you can kind of improvise on him. So how, how challenging was making and doing the Carnage series, uh, the issues with Comic Code? Because I know that, I mean, his character is is pretty, pretty sick. Dark. I mean, he's, yeah, he's a serial dark. killer. He's yeah. on the loose. 
I know it's so weird to be, you know, that's what you're famous for, right? It's like, yeah, we really like your Spider-Man work and that serial killer villain, you know, it's like, <laughs> great. But, uh, like, yeah, you know, about serial killers. <laughs> they, they kept it pretty, I mean, there were some scenes that were, you know, but, you know, I, you know, they're pretty, they didn't show huge gore or anything. They never did, really. It's, it's just more scary. Did, did it feel restrictive at all because of the code that you couldn't, at the time, Maybe you know, that's long. sort of up to the writer. You know, I mean, he's telling you what to do still. Even though the penciler does have a say, I'd say in the old days, you know, the 60s with Jack Kirby days and, and Stan Lee and Steve Ditko and all this, they, the, write, or the artists actually had more of a say because they were kind of like helping write the story in a lot of cases. So in, in these cases, it's kind of like, hey, if the writer's not going to get go off the, the ledge, then we aren't either. Right. So um, it didn't bother me. I mean, I'm kind of a, you know, PG-13 guy anyway. It's like, I'd rather have more people see it than have it just be, you know, like everybody's like, yeah, we want an R-rated, you know, Wolverine or R-rated whatever. And it's right. like, well, okay, you know, it's like, you want to make more money? Don't or lose some of your audience when you do that. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, I don't know. But well, that must have been fun though. I mean, that, that what was that like when that issue came out and the response that you heard of the character? Was that, did, did you expect it to be that big? No. And in fact, big mistake on my part, I inked that um, cover, I, the first cover I showed you, uh, the, the one that was rejected, and, and they didn't want it. So it just sat in my studio for a long time. Boy, I wish I'd kept it. You know, it's like it'd be worth, it would easily be worth six figures right now. And somebody's got it out there. So I got to the point where it was like, we didn't know the numbers yet, you know, on the sales. And, it, you know, it sat there for, I don't know, a week or two or whatever. And I thought, well, I want to get my couple hundred bucks you know for inking this so it's like i filled out a voucher and sent it in of course they paid me and then it promptly disappeared in the offices it was in a drawer somewhere and as soon as you know the, the numbers were out that the book was selling seven hundred and fifty thousand copies that month you know of course it took you know a couple of months to catch up um it was you know it went viral it was just like insano and you know i remember bagley called me or and he was like uh well, Randy, he goes, I think we've, I think we've made our mark historically on the comic industry now, you know, and he was right. I mean, I get it's weird, but I mean, he was right. I mean, that was a big moment, you know, it was like for Spider-Man, you know, it's, and Spider-Man's always good. I mean, he's always going to be around, you know, he'll be, at least I hope so. <laughs> oh yeah. He's always going to be around. I mean, that was Stan's favorite. So I know, I that, know. that as long as Stan's image still is alive, he I always love that when Stan would say that, you know, I was just like, yes, Stan, your favorite character. I got to work on, you know, Amazing Spider-Man for seven years. And so that, it, you know, actually it was not seven, but it was about five and a half or six. And then I got to do Web of Spider-Man for about a year and a half. So, yeah. But it was like 80 some ish, 85 issues of Spider-Man books I worked on. So it was a lot. It was a lot of stuff. Now the evolution of Spider-Man, what will, now that we're on this subject, has really just evolved since when you were drawing to now, uh, character-wise, that parallel universes, there's different, different Spider-Mans. Uh, what, do you, what do you think of all the, the expansion that it's gone through? You know, it's hard for me to keep up. I mean, even when I was doing the book, I was concentrating on my book, and then I would read, uh, I mean, I was inking sometimes two books a month. You know, I was doing G.I. Joe and Spider-Man or Doctor Strange and G.I. Joe or whatever. So I would read those and try and stay ahead of that. But I didn't have time to read all the other books and stuff, like other, the fans. So when it gets to now, I mean, I stopped doing uh, serious comic book stuff for Marvel in about 2009. So I saw on you, you have a website and you, under, under normal circumstances, not during COVID, you, you teach kids how to draw. Is this specifically for comic book art? It's, you know, no, it's bigger because I did 10 years as an animator and did 50 commercials. So I'm, you know, I'm well-versed in a lot of different styles and genres. So I didn't limit myself because look, kids are into what? They're into gaming. They're into animation on TV. You know, they're into movies and animated stuff. And, uh, you know, so it was like I had to kind of listen to them. And so I came up with some stuff initially to test. And I, it was like a little store. Uh, it was called Bethy Village Artists. And they sold supplies, but they also had classes. So I asked the lady if I could teach a few classes and, and I did. And it was kind of how I trained myself to teach was using that store. And then uh, after that, I went into the school system and became a vendor 
and did after school enrichment programs. And so I was actually teaching at five different schools, five days a week at one time. So, and my wife is a teacher. She teaches in Beaverton or she did, she just retired, but she was a teacher in Beaverton elementary school. So I was, I started my classes with like third grade to fifth grade, you know, third to sixth or third to fifth, depending on the school. And that's about when kids have that ability the you know, the hand-eye coordination and, you know, physical, they can actually handle a pencil about third grade. So I learned a lot. I mean, I, you know, I learned a lot about teaching. Uh, and of course, teaching, you know, teaches you about your own drawing. And so I think I told you that earlier, but I draw way better now than I did when I was working on comics, just because I've had to analyze it, break it down, and actually use a lot of the reference books that I never had time to use. So I, I use, you know, tons of different references as well. And then I have private students too. I had a lot of high school and college kids uh, in fact, and some of those, some of the kids I had as early students were with me 10 years and they became the assistants at our comic book art camps. So they'd come back from college or even after high school, we'd give them a summer job for three weeks and pay them, you know, really good wage. And they knew what I knew because they'd, they'd learned from me. And so it was great to have them as my hands and eyes, you know, when you're teaching a class of 30 kids or something, I had them out there. My wife was, you know, doing all of the mechanics and thinking through all of the logistics and, you know, she's the teacher, you know, but I'm up front doing group, whole group instruction and checking on stuff, but I've got my three other assistants out there doing it. So that was the, that was the ultimate. Now that was a comic book art camp where we did, ultimately we did a comic strip at the end, but we learned to do uh, characters every day, different characters for warmups. Then we did a sound effects poster. Then we did a cover. And so you had to break down all of the elements of a cover and I had sheets on that. And then we finally started a comic strip and I had plots. I had like seven or eight different genres with plots that were just a paragraph. So the kids could do like two pages of continuity. So that was a real comic book camp. It was like my wife's idea and she goes, do the camp that you would have wanted when you were a kid. And sure. there, was nothing, there was nothing like that, you know. Right, so that, right. that we did 13 years of that and we were gonna do it this summer and then COVID came and really doing an indoor camp was really insane. There's just no way you're going to do that. If somebody gets sick, you're quarantined anyway. So we didn't do it. So I did some films. I did some online video stuff for kids that actually did pay their deposit. And they said, we don't want the refund. But, you know, it's like if you got anything for us. And so I did some, you know, how to draw videos, which I may do. I may end up doing some classes with video. Uh, like I have a YouTube, you know, channel and all that kind of junk. So, you know, I'll be doing some YouTube videos probably. Now, now are, are these, are these students of yours, uh, you, do you, do they, do they take on an, uh, their own style when they draw or do you kind of notice that the, your style of drawing has kind of gone to them a little bit? Well, not really, you know, it's, it's just, no, everybody is unique. And I think that's what you always tell them is you go, you know, just cause your friends you, you think his looks better than yours. That's not necessarily true. It's like everybody has their own style and that's why you get a job at Marvel is because you have a different style. You know I mean? And that's why they change the artists on books often now is they're looking to hit a home run. So they keep changing it up. And I always tell them, Hey, what you're doing is your thing. And it's like, if you can just take, you know, the pieces I'm giving you of proportion, how to, you know, space the eyes and the nose and the mouth, then you can improvise on that and do your own version and come up with your own style. And that's what I see is I see, you know, you have a class of like, you know, 30 kids or, or probably if I'm doing the schools, it's more like 15, you know, but it's like you look at it and there's always those three or four that, you know, that can draw exactly like you. You know, they, I mean, they can, they're just really good already. And so they, they're very compliant, you know, and they do it. But then there's the characters that, you know, are off doing their own thing kind of, and you have to encourage that, you know, it's like, that's cool. You know, you're doing, you see it differently. So yeah. that's okay. And yeah. that's the thing. It's, it's perspective and everyone has a different way of looking at something. Absolutely. You know, and so it was fun. And I had my wife to help coach me on stuff because she's a real teacher. Right. And my dad was a principal in the schools, you know, elementary for like 30 years. So, um, you know, I had a lot of people that were, and I even did, I did young audiences for six years. And that's a program here in Washington, Southwest Washington and Oregon. And it goes to the schools and you do like, um, you know, it was assembly programs. So you draw for the kids, 
maybe do a, a skit that shows exactly what we're talking about. If I could have done the skit to show how comics are made, it was really cool because they had each kid got to be a, a certain, you know, like an inker or a penciler. And then there was a FedEx guy, you know, back in those days, everything was FedEx. It was like the pages were flying around. So it's like, I would do those. And I did those and I actually got critiqued and, and learned a lot from working with um, that company or, you know, the, the young audiences thing. And then eventually we kind of came to, you know, loggerheads because they wanted to kind of own me like they were my agent or something. It's like, no, I'm sorry. I, I have many other things that I want to do. You have a lot on your plate. <laughs> I know. So, but it was good, good training, you know, and I did, I still do those. I'll still go do a school uh, where I actually do a workshop and uh, speak, you know, do an assembly program and then follow up with a workshop of how to do a comic book cover. Cause I got it down now. I mean, it's 13 years of doing it. So did you do this also at the cons when you would go? I would sometimes, you know, like it started, I think here with, um, you know, when they did the, um, what is it? Uh, uh, the Rose city comic con, which started, you know, with some guys that took me out to lunch and they were like, well, who do we talk to? How can we get in touch with artists? And they're a bunch of tech guys that had money and they just wanted to do a nice comic con. And then, you know, it turned into this, you know, 50,000 people at the convention center. And, and for the first years I would do like a, just I would teach a class, you know, I'd say, okay, we're going to draw a newspaper strip character and, you know, and maybe, you know, like we'll do like Garfield or something and maybe we'll do like a Pokemon character and then we'll do Spider-Man or something. And everybody's supposed to bring their sketchbook. And then I'd talk about the business, you know, the industry or something like that, you know? So I did that for, uh, I did it for them and I did it for a number of other comic cons. And, you know, they're always looking for you to do something, you know, it's like talk about yourself or whatever, be on a panel uh, at least I had a presentation I could do, you know, so it was kind of fun. How weird is it to not have a con this year? <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty weird because my wife and I were, we got to the point where we were used to planning our lives around the travel uh, for the right. comic cons. And that in the last 10 years, I mean, it just escalated to the point. I mean, I had friends that, you know, they weren't teaching or they didn't have other jobs or they needed money or whatever. They were going to every, some of them were doing like 35 cons a year. I mean, it's like you're on a plane like almost every weekend. It's yeah. like that would drive me insane. It's like no way I could. No one's it. ever home with those, those kind yeah. of. Yeah, I mean, it's like, and I just thought, wow, I would be sick all the time or whatever, you know. Anyway, so I would do about 10 to 12, but we would try and pick ones that would take us places. You know, like, you know, they always, you know, like we did Hawaii uh, and uh, they put us up for like an extra week after I did the show and did a store appearance. We were there vacationing and it was like, hey, this is great. So you try and do that, you try and or else connect it in and go, hey, we want to go hiking, you know, or do this. And so let's stay an extra few days and uh, and go to cons that are interesting. And I like the smaller ones. I mean, there's the big ones if you want to make some money in some cases, you know, like obviously Emerald city is awesome and always has been great. You know, I mean, I've done that one every year, but the first year. So like 16 years in a row, I did it. I something like that and missed the first year. And it was like, it's been, you know, um, unbelievable, but it's intense. And, you know, it's four or three days, four days, it's four days now. Yeah, I guess it really is. Yeah. It's four days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then that was canceled and they tried to reschedule, but the little cons are really the fun ones like Bellingham the guy who does that was always a friend and that's just one day, but he puts you up for like three days and you know, it's a great town. It's got sailboats and eateries and it's college, you know, and you can go up and goof off. And yeah. It's not as crazy as say, you know, San Diego which, no, or you know, Tucson. I went to the crazy. Tucson show. Tucson was great. Those people were great. You know I mean? And I had so much fun. I went out to that um, where the studio was I forget, like Tucson studios or it has, I think it's something, other name but it's where they filmed all the westerns you know i mean literally all the tv westerns and stuff were filmed there and it was just like you know i had a great time so there's a lot of places and judy would travel with me in a lot of these like you know we went to phoenix a bunch of times too and uh, alaska alaska it was uh, anchorage i'd never been there you know i mean it was great i didn't know they had a con over there <laughs> yeah they were gonna do it again this year it's been their third year i think of doing it so, um, yeah, you get used to going and doing and all of your trips are canceled and boy, that happened really fast. It was like all of a sudden with COVID, it was like, oops, I better get my, my credit and my money and, you know, <laughs> cancel the hotel and the plane. And, and, you know, a lot of times it was, I was doing a new one in Van, uh, Vancouver, BC or no Victoria, BC. 
and it was uh, that was going to be really fun because I like Victoria, and they had to cancel and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's been sad. I mean, it's like you know, didn't get to go, and you don't see a lot of your friends and your fans, and you don't see the other editors and the artists. I mean, that's how I kind of keep my hand in is doing the shows, and I get to see guys older than I am, you know, at some of these shows. So it's kind of cool, you know. Before we go, what what uh, do you see yourself doing project wise that you'd like to? do in the future or what, what, what are you currently looking forward to as far as your work yeah well I you know I am improving you know trying to improve my work you know as I go along and it's fun because I get challenged by stuff with people uh, and so drawing you know and teaching I probably will uh, I since I started doing these YouTube videos uh, for instruction I'll probably come up with a class that may not hit until the end of fall uh, you know because apparently the way they're doing school here there's not going to be in classroom stuff until November. They're going to reassess what's going on and decide whether kids can be in the classroom or not. But that may even be too soon. So I'm just going to go ahead probably, uh, and my, my son is a great videographer and he could probably help me put together some stuff and, and do a class and offer it. And I'll probably just, you know, I won't, I won't be going to schools like I used to. I'll just offer it online to all the people who have taken my classes and taken the camps and just start putting it out there and, and uh, maybe do like eight sessions or six sessions or something like that. And, uh, and then keep working on stuff. I mean, I, I haven't got, I mean, I'd like to retire in the sense that I'd like to spend more time on my music, you know, than yeah. I have, you know, <laughs> I mean, I really enjoy playing and I love supporting jazz musicians in Portland. So, uh, I, you know, I'm not looking to do a graphic novel right now. Like some of my friends are, they're like, Oh, we're going to do Kickstarters and we're doing this 50 page or 150 page graphic novel, you know? And it's like, wow, that sounds like a lot of work, you know, <laughs> I think I'd rather play guitar, you know? So, so yeah, I'm just, you know, keep working on your art, keep in contact with fans. Probably shows will come back someday. I don't know. Or else there'll be some weird, like they're doing all these virtual shows now, right? These kinds right. online. It's like, eh, I'm not really that interested in that. I don't mind doing a podcast or something like that where we get to talk about, but you know, it's like, I don't know if I'm going to do a comic con online. Uh, just yeah, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. I tried yeah. to watch a few panels. And I was like, it's just I, not the same. <laughs> I know it's just not, but teaching is possible. And maybe with zoom because we're doing zoom, you know, I've got my, private students and some of them are older like adults that are doing comic strips and stuff and they want to continue and i think zoom is probably a good way to do that because you can actually interact you know one-on-one -on -one, look at what they're doing they can show you you can actually make comments you can even have a couple of cameras you know and whatever and uh, and i might even do what my friend aaron lapresti who's he's doing justice league stuff right he's still working for dc i think this is last month but um he does Aaron Con. His name's Aaron Lopresti. So he's been doing that since March or something. And it's like he'll do his own Comic Con and he'll go, the first, you know, 10 people to get, you know, ask for commissions, get free shipping or whatever. And, <laughs> and then he'll draw on camera, you know, for what, you know, and, and work on commissions. And, and he actually does a live, you know, day or two of doing, you know, for a couple hours each day online and, or streaming or whatever. So um, who knows, maybe I'll do a, a Randy con, Amberlynn con or something. There you go. Yeah. It, you know, the possibilities are still there. Even during COVID, we still find ways to do what we're doing. I'm still doing a podcast. You're still yeah. doing your work and geeks can still find a way to unite. Yeah, know, that's right. That's even. right. So but, I'm ho I hope people enjoyed this and got learned something and got something out of it. And, uh, you know, they can always find me just my name, just randyemberlin.com. I've got my website and that's got my email. So if they Perfect. want to contact me, that's the easiest way. Just know my name and .com it. And how, how about how about on uh, social media? Where, where can people? Oh yeah, it's at randyemberlin for like Instagram. And then what is it? Randy.emberlin or something, you know, at, at uh, Facebook, you know, it's like easy you're, to find me. You're not going to be a guy that's hard to find. Trust me, Randy. <laughs> no, it shouldn't be. I mean, it should pop up. So, and I'm accepting most friends right now on Facebook, all I generally, I look at them, check them out, make sure that, you know, generally they have, you know, like 15, 10 similar friends. And if they're into comics and they show, or they're artistic or in film or whatever, then I'm probably going to accept them as friends. You know, I used to be a lot more like, yeah, I want to keep away from that. But really now I think it's probably a good idea to make a lot of friends like that. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so but as for fans, for me, you can find me at, uh, on Instagram at Damien underscore DeCarlo. 
uh, also at making a geek underscore podcast. Uh, Randy, thank you so much. We, we wish you well with your family. Stay safe uh, during quarantine. We can't wait to be back with you when this is all over at the con again. And we can go back to having fun. <laughs> well, thank you for inviting me. I really enjoy doing it. And I hope uh, it's a successful podcast. Absolutely. It's, I, when there's geeks, uh, there's always going to be a way. <laughs> so don't forget to hit subscribe and that little bell to this channel for more cool content. Until next time, everybody, keep calm and geek out. Good night, everybody. Good night.